Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. PatientPoint offers industry-leading patient engagement technology powered by award-winning content that's proven to drive better health outcomes and increase revenue for your dermatology practice, all at no cost to you. Learn why more than 140,000 healthcare providers choose PatientPoint. Visit engage.patientpoint.com AAD. That's engage.patientpoint.com AAD. Welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology, Practice Management Series, August 24th, 2022. I am Dr. Brad Glick, and I'm a board-certified dermatologist and assistant clinical professor of dermatology at the FIU Herbert Wertheim College of Medicine in Miami, Florida. I'm your host. Our topic today is step therapy and prior authorization updates, a focus on pharmacy benefit managers. A 2017 survey done by Barbieri et al. indicated that 92% of dermatologists were significantly impacted by prior authorization and felt it as an administrative burden on their practice. A similar study repeated by the same institution in 2020 indicated that practices surveyed felt that they had added three and a half hours per day for prior authorizations, and 30% of these practices had hired specific staff solely dedicated to prior authorization. It is clear that prior authorizations and step therapy are an administrative burden in our practices. Joining me today to discuss these matters is Dr. Benjamin Kaffenberger. Dr. Kaffenberger is Associate Clinical Professor of Dermatology at The Ohio State University. Dr. Kaffenberger graduated from Ohio State University College of Medicine and completed his dermatology residency at Ohio State. His clinical interests include cellulitis and pseudo-infections of the skin, wounds, hydratinitis suppurativa, graft-versus-host disease, and drug reactions. He has research interests in hospital dermatology outcomes, imaging techniques and analysis in dermatology, teledermatology, patient access to dermatology, and clinical trials. His research has been funded by the National Psoriasis Foundation, the American Acne and Rosacea Society, the Dermatology Foundation, the Henry Jackson Foundation for Military Medicine, the Ohio Department of Medicaid, and the NIH. Welcome, Ben. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Let's go ahead and start with the basics here. What is a prior authorization? What is this step therapy stuff? And why do we have to do them both? And I want you to comment on that, and then we'll transition into the bigger the big bad wolf, the bigger issue, and that is the pharmacy benefit manager. So why is it that when we write a prescription, we don't just get it to our patients directly a lot of the time, or at least not most of the time? So tell us about this. Tell us about prior authorizations and step therapy, and then we'll get into the bulk of the discussion on PBMs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a huge and onerous challenge for, for dermatologists throughout the country to deal with these, these aspects. But ultimately, they deal with insurance companies and potentially the middleman, the pharmacy benefit manager, trying to take a greater role in determining what prescriptions they want to have active and available for patients who are insured by them. 
So the prior authorization step is is one that I'm sure all dermatologists are familiar with, but this is an insurance plan saying before we're going to dispense a medication, before we're going to authorize a pharmacy to dispense this medication that your doctor has ordered, you have to authorize it through us first. And so that's an additional step that we as dermatologists and our staff persons are completing to get these medications to our patients. Step therapy is slightly different. Step therapy is a defined process that the insurance company or the pharmacy benefit manager is putting in front of us where a patient has to use a certain medication, use a certain therapeutic prior to moving on to the next therapeutic. And and this is the same thing where the insurances are looking at a population, they're looking at their own costs, and there are potentially some more unsavory aspects of that as well, too, in terms of what their benefits are to saying a patient has to use this first. We want more of our patients that we're insuring on this medication before we're going to allow the next medication. You know, I would add in, in listening to you, you're making me think that you and I are both thinking that this is just about medications, but this is about testing, tests that we want to order. I mean, try and get an MRI. Well, you need to do this first. You do the ultrasound second. Maybe we'll let you do a CAT scan. And then the test you really wanted Maybe you'll get it at some point. It really reminds me of that. Let's go ahead and jump in and talk about formulary decisions. Who's making the formulary decisions and who are the PBMs? Yeah, to a large extent, this is driven by the pharmacy benefit managers. That's the PBMs. And PBMs, they've been around for a long time. They were originally just the kind of middle managers that were not authorizing payments necessarily or making the formularies, but actually just processing the payments from the pharmacy to the insurers and taking care of this paperwork in between them. But the industry has consolidated significantly from multiple and many to just three major members of these pharmacy benefit managers that own over 85% of the market. These are the companies that have, although they were originally uh, standalone companies, they've actually merged back with, with the insurers. But these are the companies that largely make these formulary decisions. So they have the data in front of them. They are the complete middle managers separating the insurers from the physicians, but then also interacting with drug wholesale suppliers, pharmacies to dispense the medications as well too. So they're in between everyone in that um, instance. As far as what their process, you know, so they've evolved over time in terms of what they do. So it's not just processing payments from the pharmacy and getting that payment back to the insurer. And they've evolved over time where they're actually the ones that are making the decisions. They're the ones that are choosing the formularies that insurance companies are subscribing to. They're the ones that are developing. This is has to be your first tier medication. This has to be your second tier medication if you fail step one and have to move on to step two. And these are the companies that are making significant rebates. These are the companies that are negotiating directly with the pharmacy but also they're negotiating with the, the manufacturer, the drug manufacturer, to put the medication on the formula in the first place. And what does it take to put a new medication on the formula? Oftentimes, it's a big rebate back to the pharmacy benefit manager. What I'm thinking about and listening to you is this is the most successfully paid middle person that I've ever heard of. And secondly, in addition to the general frustration, To me, there's such a disconnect in our patients. If we use prescriptions as an example, prescription drugs, there's such a delay in the patient being able to get what they need. And then we really don't have a choice, but to sometimes use an alternative, it's incredibly frustrating. Let's dive in a little deeper, a little bit more about the history of PBMs and kind of formulary development. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So history-wise, they started in the 1960s originally just with paper processing, the late 1960s, but these weren't a, a really a known entity for a long, long period of time. And it hasn't been until recently, the last decade or so, that three large corporations have taken across, taken off. It's Express Scripts, OptumRx, and Caremark. Actually, it was Caremark at the time. And each of these companies have merged back with insurance companies. And in the case of CVS Caremark, not only are they merged with the insurance company, Aetna, they're also merged with a pharmacy giant, CVS, which also provides services, medical services, through having clinics in, in their pharmacy as well, too. So they really have the full spectrum, a full silo from insured individuals to the pharmacies, to the pharmacy benefit managers. These companies, I mean, they're, they're not insignificant at all. Express Scripts in 2017 reported earnings over $100 billion. When you compare that to some of the pharmaceuticals that are out there, Pfizer in the same year reported $52 billion in earnings. So these companies are much larger than the, the manufacturers themselves. And so they have a huge pull. They have a huge sway on the spectrum that we're dealing with. Now, they say that's beneficial because they're able to use their power to negotiate improved drug pricing. But it's extremely murky. It's extremely complex. And that's not at all what's been shown to be the case. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't know about in the state of Ohio, but in the state of Florida where I practice, I haven't seen that impact. I don't see prices going down. The patients are calling us, whether it's branded products or whether it's generic products, and they're only telling us that their co-pays are higher. So I don't know that their goals are being met. And quite frankly, I, as a dermatologist, thought a number of years ago that perhaps, pray tell, we could find a way to battle the PBMs by aligning ourselves with the insurance company. But you've just told me that those two entities are now in cahoots. So that's not really good for us in trying to get our patients these medications and these procedures. And certainly, first and foremost, it's not really good for them. Is there supposed to be a benefit to the PBMs? Is there a benefit to the insurers? What's happening here? Yeah, absolutely. So supposedly there are benefits to the pharmacy benefit managers, and there must be uh, benefits to the insurers because the insurers have, have all decided it wasn't a single uh, entity. All, all three of these major insurers, um, UHC, Aetna, and Anthem have all merged specifically with the PBMs that they work with. So ideally, what they say the benefits are is, first of all, it's management of a complex formula where these insurances are dealing with all these different specialists requiring numerous new brand name medications, which is very complex to deal with in the first place. So they're saying, first of all, management. Secondly, they're also saying that because there's only a limited number of PBMs, they supposedly have all this purchasing power to lower the cost for the insurer. And ultimately, that's theoretically passed on to the, the insured individual as well, too, through premiums. Additionally, they negotiate directly with the manufacturers to secure rebates. So that's for these expensive medications, brand name, biologics, before biosimilars, or even with biosimilars to get rebates. So bringing down list price on these medications by getting rebates. And supposedly those rebates are supposed to be passed on to the insurer and then hopefully to the individual through premiums as well, too. Those are the benefits that are supposed to be given by these pharmacy benefit managers. Biologics, biosimilars, specifically biosimilars, are coming into our space. I mean, they're really here. We know that they're in gastroenterology and rheumatology, our close partners. We'll see. 
reportedly 20 to somewhere up towards a 40% of a savings. We will see. Time will tell. Hopefully that will be the case. I'm most certainly not seeing it with topicals or systemic therapies, antibiotics, and some of the systemic therapies that we use to treat patients with psoriatic disease and atopic disease. Let's move on. Are there other health professionals that are having difficulty with pharmacy benefit managers? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I think all specialties that deal with prescriptions, especially with brand name medications, biologics, expensive medications, and they're prescribing medicines are dealing with the same pharmacy benefit managers that we are and having the same challenges. But in particular, another group in the health system that, that you know, maybe we don't think about quite as much as pharmacists. So especially independent pharmacists. So these pharmacy benefit managers, not only do they separate the physicians from the patients from the insurance companies, but they're also separating the pharmacist as well too. And then if you're CVS Caremark and you have your own line of pharmacies throughout the country and you're determining how you're reimbursing for each one of these generic medications, you're probably not reimbursing the independent pharmacy, the single independent pharmacy in, in Appalachian, Ohio, the same way that they're reimbursing a CVS branded pharmacy elsewhere in the state. So pharmacists say that they're being run out of business because of these complex deals, these complex reimbursement schemes that they're getting from pharmacy benefit managers. And not only are these challenging in the immediate sense, so when they're initially dispensing the medication, pharmacists say sometimes that the cost is that they're paying to the pharmacy benefit manager that's immediately going out the door every time they dispense this medication does not pay for the medication, but they're also describing a process of pharmacy clawbacks, which is different than the clawbacks that we talk about for our, our patients. But the pharmacists are saying that they have these complex contracts that could lead to a pharmacy benefit manager, even after a sales closed, several months later, coming back to the pharmacy and saying, hey, you have to pay me an extra dollar for this prescription that you dispensed because the wholesale price of this medication changed. So it prevents them from keeping accurate books and being able to predict the future with the revenue they're bringing back in based on these contracts. And honestly, with only three of these major PBMs out there, if you're an independent pharmacy, an independent pharmacist, these PBMs can you say and say, take it or leave the contract. You don't have that power because there's not enough competition in the PBM market. And to me, as I'm listening to you, this translates simply to not only continued administrative burdens in our practices, but most important, that the patients are not going to get what they need. Incredibly frustrating. What about documented, unscrupulous type, unethical business practices from these PBMs? You used the word murky before. And I think there are really murky waters here. And it seems to me like it's about money, money being exchanged. They're supposed to be savings. Our patients are not seeing the savings. What's going on here? And maybe you can give us some examples, perhaps even from your state. No, exactly. I mean, who are PBMs accountable to is the, is the big challenge here. And, and the answer is they're not. States regulate their insurance companies typically, but PBMs haven't been part of that. And so there's not really, and then are PBMs accountable to the patients? Not really, because patients are insured by the insurer. And so that insurer is, has a, a middleman, a step away from that formulary decision in the first place. So who are these groups actually accountable to in the first place? There's been a number of unscrupulous business practices that have been documented by these groups. In particular, in my state personally, there's been a big push or a big study that came out looking at how PBMs have overcharged our state Medicaid. And that's 
because that's the data that was available for our state. I mean, I'm sure that this is happening with, with individuals elsewhere as well, too. But there's not a regulatory body that can look at them. But at least with the state Medicaid system, our attorney general is actually able to analyze what is this kind of spread pricing that's happening. And so how much are PBMs overcharging the state for the Medicaid prescriptions compared to what they're dispensing to the pharmacists in the first place or to the pharmacy to pay for that, that medication in the first place? In a year period, that difference was $210 million in one state. So, and that was mostly on generic medications as well, too. So, I mean, that's a big part of why a patient, when you're expecting a patient to get a very inexpensive, low cost medication, and then all of a sudden it's more expensive for them to use their insurance than it is for them to pay a cash pay price. And that's because of spread pricing. They're increasing the price of, of some generic medication. It's extremely unfortunate that we're dealing with. That's been a huge challenge. These clawbacks are another big issue. So, we talk about clawbacks, and that's with when it comes to a patient, that's the same product same idea. The patient is paying more for that prescription than what the actual price of that medication is to pay cash. At one time in these contracts that the pharmacists were complaining about, they typically had gag clauses put in by the pharmacy benefit managers. And what that gag clause did is it prevented the pharmacist at the counter from telling a patient, hey, that triamcinolone prescription, that fluorouracil prescription, you can get it for half the cost if you just pay cash, or you can get it for a third of the cost if you just pay cash. It prevented pharmacists from being able to tell that to patients. And so that was specifically and explicitly put in the contracts um, of the pharmacists. So they weren't able to do that. Now, things have changed a little bit there because of federal legislation, but that's certainly a, a business practice that these companies were, were guilty of doing in the first place. Something about the business model that, that's happening is, is, that's very murky, is what's getting put on our dermatology formularies in the first place for our patients and a major concern here is that what benefits the pharmacy benefit manager is not what benefits the patient or what benefits the overall healthcare system either. And that relies on two different things. One is rebates, getting drug rebates. And you can imagine that if you're prioritizing medications for topical medications for psoriasis or, or whatever, you're not getting drug rebates on generic medications. So it incentivizes a pharmacy benefit manager to put brand name medications on, which result in significant rebates going right back to that pharmacy benefit manager. Additionally, the other issue of that is that the pharmacy benefit managers typically cause charge formulary administrative fees. And those fees are based on a percentage of the list price of that drug. And so those list prices being higher, so taking brand name medications, again, are an incentive for these pharmacy benefit managers to put on the formulary, unexpectedly probably for the physicians as well too that are prescribing the medications. And so there was a JAMA internal medicine study just a couple of years ago, but to illustrate that 72% of Medicare formularies, at least somewhere, and usually there's multiple locations or multiple different indications, have branded drugs that are on lower tiered than common generic medications. And the suspicion is that's all because of these benefits, these murky benefits that are going to pharmacy benefit managers, rebates, drug rebates, and administrative fees going to them as well. So what are we going to do to combat this? What can be done? Yeah, I mean, so I think some of this has started in 2018, which is very fortunate. And that's when two different federal legislations were signed into law. And those outlaw gag clauses, both for, for Medicare, one was for Medicare and, and Medicare Part D and Medicare Advantage members, and the other was for, for privately insured individuals. So those gag clauses are now out of contracts with pharmacists. So that's certainly beneficial. 
But we need to do a lot more than that. I mean, again, looking at Ohio, that $210 million that's spread through and passed on to pharmacy benefit managers and was not passed back. How often is this happening elsewhere? We're certain it probably is. How often is this happening in the privately insured market and Medicare market, Advantage market? Certainly it's happening there as well too. And so certainly a lot more needs to be done. And so there are a number of pieces of statewide legislation that are happening throughout the country, in particular things like pharmacy benefit manager, licensure and registration. So again, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Insurances are typically regulated by the state. Pharmacy benefit managers have not been. So states are actually adding them to the Department of Insurance or under the Board of Pharmacy so that there is some regulation and there's some accountability to these groups. But I think that's one of the biggest pieces that we have to encourage some sort of accountability of these. Transparency would be another fantastic looking at what rebates are actually being paid. We have no idea for these different medications. And that what we're hearing from the pharmacy benefit managers is very different than what you hear from the pharmaceutical companies. So for example, insulin being very, very expensive. The Eli Lilly CEO has said that the reason I have to charge so much on the list price is because of the rebates that are demanded by the pharmacy benefit managers. The pharmacy benefit managers are saying, well, they have to charge all these rebates because the list price is so high. So we're not getting clear information. So I think transparency is really a critical piece. So certainly advocating for any sort of legislation that's adding to to regulation of these entities, entities, transparency of these entities. I think we have to educate patients as well, too. I don't think patients understand this process. I don't think patients understand that we're expecting, you know, oftentimes prescribing a generic medication, expecting them to get that affordably. We're certainly not expecting that that's going to require prior authorization or that it's three, four times the cost, or that it's more expensive than what the cash pay price would be in the first place. So I think that education is really critical for our patients and for other physicians that are in our healthcare space as well too, health and and other providers of all types. So yeah. And then I think the the last thing that I'd really advocate is, is who do we really want the pharmacy benefit managers? Do we really want the insurance making these decisions? Do we want them making the, the formulary decisions for us in the first place? And I really advocate, I think that our specialty needs to have these lists of transparent. These are the low cost medications. These are necessary. These are critical medications that we as dermatologists need throughout the country. And we need these to be affordable for all patients. And we can't have clawbacks on these. So these are medications that should be certainly free of clawbacks where we should not expect that they're two times, three times the cost of their cash price. And we just need to be able to get them to our patients. The delays in our patients getting these medications are just astounding to me. I have to say, Dr. Kaffenberger, this has been fantastic. I have learned so much. I know that our audience will learn a lot. I appreciate the opportunity to engage with you today. And I thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. For more information regarding step therapy, prior authorizations, and information regarding pharmacy benefit managers, you can log on to the website for the American Academy of Dermatology at aad.org and actually log into the Practice Management Center. And specifically for prior authorizations, you can log into your computer at www.aad.org forward slash prior auth. Once again, Ben, thank you so much for doing this podcast for Dialogues in Dermatology. And once again, thank you to our audience and please enjoy this Dialogues in Dermatology. Thank you all so much. PatientPoint offers industry-leading patient engagement technology 
powered by award-winning content that's proven to drive better health outcomes and increased revenue for your dermatology practice, all at no cost to you. Learn why more than 140,000 healthcare providers choose PatientPoint. Visit engage.patientpoint.com AAD. That's engage.patientpoint.com AAD. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.